Christians? Um, do we really understand that? That there are people who are hurting out here. And because of that hurt and because of that pain and because of what they've gone through in life, we cannot just take this and make it a magic wand. And oftentimes we do. We take this and we wave it over them and somehow everything's supposed to be okay. We get them into maybe a Bible study or we're able to give them a couple of scriptures and we think they're going to be okay. Galatians 5, 21 and 22 is for a purpose. And then at 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Next week, we'll end up this series with self-control. And, and I, I've been thinking, okay, Lord, we got love here to begin with. We got self-control. And we got all this in the middle. It's like a sandwich. But to the person, you know, when Elaine makes me one of those uh, bacon lettuce thing, sandwiches, it's not a sandwich without what? Amen. Somebody know it. Got to have that miracle whip, you know. And that miracle whip really makes it a sandwich. You know. Understand, if you're ministering to someone and one of these are left out, it's not going to taste the same. All these characteristics, all these ingredients need to be applied into this person's life. You can't leave love out and do the others. You can't do the others and leave patience out. You can't do the others and leave kindness out and treat them mean. It's not going to taste the same. And what we need to recognize is that when the song speaks, taste and see how good the Lord is. That God doesn't leave any of his attributes out. He reveals his total self to us. Do we understand that when people live in a sinful, consistent, sinful life, or live in sin, or around sin, and they can't even help it, and they can't get out of it, that that sin is like an acid slowly eating at them to destroy them? There has been an ongoing pain, an ongoing sorrow, ongoing guilt, an ongoing sense of lostness. Maybe for years. And somehow we think people are just supposed to snap out of it. It don't work that way. Then God calls you to come alongside of a person to 
help bring them to Christ or to restore that person to the position of fellowship with Christ. What do you do? Here's the word. Here's what the word says. Snap two now. Or can you just love that person where they're at? Can you show that person kindness, even though they may take advantage of your kindness? Can you be gentle towards that person? The other night, a couple of nights ago, Lane was working out in the garden. And she had her sandals on. But she got a little thing right up under her big toenail. And she couldn't quite get it. And then she asked me, would you get that? Because you could see just the head of it, like, would you get that for me? And see, a few moments ago, she wouldn't give me a drink of her nice cold food. And boy, I got my needle and my other thing and held that big toe. Even put my magnifying glass up there where I can make sure I could see it. I didn't want to hurt her and went after it. But oh, so gentle. When people are in pain, we as Christians as much as it sometimes hurt us, have to be willing to deal gently with them. And a lot of times I think in the Christian world, we haven't understood that yet. And we have caused more pain and more hurt in people's lives because we have not been gentle, nor have we taken time to understand their situation or their life or where they have been on their life journey. We have to come to a place where we are ready to really minister to people. In Matthew 11, he just tells us in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And what I want to stress is that area of learn from me. When you're ministering to other people, do they learn from you? Do you give them the opportunity to learn from you? Or do they just want to get away from you? Because you're still the one who's causing pain. You're, you're still the one that caused them to think of their regrets or their sorrows. And the first thing the Lord says, learn from me. He's ministering to somebody. He said, they're going to learn from me. People don't rapidly change, but they can learn. But they need somebody to show them the way. They need somebody to teach them. They need somebody to be the example. They need somebody in whom they can follow and that they can trust. So the first thing the Lord says, take upon me, learn from me. But look how he teaches. Look what he says about 
himself. For I am first what? Gentle. I'm gentle. Because he understands those who are going to learn from him have come out of sin, and sin is painful. Sin is hurtful. Sin causes a lot of regrets. Sin causes to feel lost and lonely and separated. And he says, I'm gentle. Why not be harsh? Why not be mean? Why not just give us the Ten Commandments and say, shape up? But he says, he's gentle with us. He's gentle with us. And humble. Almost the same two words. In heart. Look where it begins at. Inwardly. Inwardly. It's not a facade. It's not trickery or doing something that people may think, oh, they're just trying to fake me out. They're just trying to suck me in. They're just trying to win me. But there's a genuine concern. And understand today, people in our life, in our world, they don't know when people really care about them and really are concerned. They just think, oh, they're trying to get me to do what they want me to do. Do it their way. But there's a real heart concern of what's best for that person. And people sometimes say, oh, how do you know what's best for me? Let me share something with you. That is God-given wisdom when you minister to other people. Because it's not what you want. It's really what God wants for them. And he says, it's in the heart. And then he says, when that person is willing to really trust you, he says, and you will find rest for your soul. When you get a person who is willing to learn from you, and willing to allow you to teach them, they will find rest for their souls. They're at rest now. They have a comfort zone. They have a place that is safe for them. They have a place where they feel secure. They have a place where they feel they're not going to be talked about, torn down, ridiculed, but that they're going to be built up. They're going to be challenged. And it all starts with gentleness. He goes on, he says, in 1 Corinthians 10.32, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God. Look who all he includes. Don't cause the Jewish person to stumble. Don't cause the Gentile to stumble. And don't cause those in the church to stumble. Guess what? They're all hurting. People in church are hurting. We may come in here, oh, I'm blessed, everything's great, everything's this. But that's not always so, is it? And he says, do not cause anyone to stumble. We need to be very much aware of that. Because sometimes we can be so harsh and so cruel, we can be so quick with words. People don't want to come back through the door. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10. 
1 through 5. He says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. This is what we do. How do we do it? We serve others by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. And that's what was being said about Paul. I beg you that when I come, I may have not to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We don't fight like the world. We don't heal people like the world does. We don't go after the things in the same manner that the world does. He goes on, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. What's that divine power? The power of the Holy Spirit to love through an agapiness, with an agape love. The power of the Holy Spirit to give you joy even while you're ministering in the worst type of situation and the people can see yet your joy. It is that whole area bringing peace into people's life. These are not the weapons of the world. These are the weapons of God. God grants men peace. God gives them joy. God allows them to know their love. It is God's kindness that brings them to a point of repentance. It is that whole thing that God is being gentle with them. And they begin to recognize it. Our weapons are not the things of this world, but of God. Given by the Holy Spirit. That we might get into the worst of situations and see victory. See people overcome. Because our weapons are not of this world. They're divinely inspired. We are instructed in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, he says, now, you who are spiritual, boy, that's a big question mark anymore, isn't it? Because, see, who is spiritual? For some who think they are spiritual are not spiritual. And just because you have pastor or reverend in front of your name don't mean you're spiritual. Because you're elder or deacon or this or that and shit don't mean that you're spiritual. That's where the gift of discernment comes in, that you can discern a person who is truly spiritual and of God. And he says, boy, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, this is your job now. Restore him. How? Yes. Don't forget that word gently. That in the time of restoration, you are working with that person gently. Because the person is already in pain. They're already suffering. 
They're already gone through enough. And he says, now be gentle with them. And in this, I want to caution us. Let's choose our words wisely. Let's choose our words wisely. And he says, be gentle. And, but he gives us a caution here also. But watch yourself. I want you to understand something. When you're dealing with people, it is very easy, as they say, to lose your cool. When you're working with people, you can lose your testimony. When you're working with people, you can become very embittered. Because you think you're giving up your time, your gas money to go rescue them or help them. That, boy, what, who, I'm taking time with you and you going to act, get out of here. And he says, but watch yourself. Why? Or you also may be tempted to do what? Fall in sin. And that's where that self-control will come in that we'll speak of next week. Because, see, it's so easy for us to fall into sin. When you're ministering to people, you only have two options. Do it in the power of the Spirit or in the power of the flesh. That's it. And the thing boils down to this. Either you're doing it in and of yourself, or the Spirit of God is leading you and equipping you to minister to that person. That's it. It's either being done by the flesh and in the power of the flesh, or it's being done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the evidence of the Holy Spirit will be the character of the Spirit being displayed into the life of the person. And that person knows when the flesh didn't jump in there because it's very broad, very short, and the anger will pop up, and the wrong words will be used. And he simply says, but watch yourself. Even while you're doing it, make sure you're praying. Even when you're talking to another person, make sure you're praying. When you give another person advice, make sure you're asking God for that wisdom and knowledge to be able to share with that person. There ought to be something going on inside of you as you are speaking to someone else outwardly. While you are meeting with them in a sense, you are also meeting with God. Does that make sense? That inwardly you're meeting with God. Outwardly you're meeting with them. And he says, watch yourself. Um, In Ephesians 4.15 he says, instead... Speaking the truth in love. There is a time and a season for everything. Some truth don't have to be said right up front. <laughs> and sometimes you don't want to speak truth until you get to know the person a little bit. And sometimes it's better to wait for them to ask for truth. <laughs> 
before you speak it. Especially if you're going to speak about their behavior or their life per se. That something allows you or gives you permission to speak on things that are really tough in their life or hurtful in their life. There's two types of probing you can do. You can probe into a person's life by asking certain questions and that person can unknowingly say some things until they catch themselves. And then they wish they wouldn't have said it. Or you can allow the Holy Spirit to build a safety net around that person and that person feels safe to be able to share this with you. Oftentimes we go probing. And we need not to probe until the person is ready to share their what? Their story. Let them take you on their journey. But when they are ready to share their story and take you on their journey, you got to be ready to listen. And you want to listen with an understanding heart, not with a critical heart. And he says, speak the truth in love because that's what God has brought the person for. But the issue is, is it time? And God will even allow you to know when the time is. Oftentimes we just speak because that's how we feel. It's not that we're not to speak the truth in love. And a lot of us think, boy, if I speak the truth in love, as long as I put the word love behind it. But the thing is, your actions really don't say that you really love me. Oh yeah, you're telling me the truth. But you're ready to knock me down. Rather than help me stand up. And he says, you're speaking the truth in love. We will, in all things, grow up unto him who is the head, and that is Christ. And that's the goal that you're after, is that that person is going to do what? Grow up in Christ. Just think, God says, when you first come to him, you're a babe in Christ. And by being a babe in Christ, how does he feed you? With milk. He's not trying to stuff something in you. He's not trying to feed you something you can't handle. He's not trying to give you more than what you're able to chew. And he simply says here, boy, that you want to see that person all grow up unto him who is the head. If we try to give too much, too quick, we're going to choke him. We're going to choke him. Now understand, if somebody has not really been living a Christian life, and you're going to jam all this Christian stuff into their life, all of a sudden, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So it has to be step at a time. Step at a time. Step at a time. No use trying to run with them. Because they're not ready to run yet. And they're definitely not ready for meat yet. And he says... Boy, speak the truth in love. You never want to dodge the truth. This is the truth. And understand something. They know it too. And then we work with it from there. 
But until I accept truth, I have nothing to work with. People have to come to a place to accept truth. There's no use going to B and C if I have not accepted A, the truth right here. Because we build upon truths. But that truth has to be accepted. Let's go to James 1.9. See what James instructs us to do. Because one of the things of being gentle, you have to teach yourself to listen. We're all willing to speak. But to listen. In James 1.19 he says, My dear brothers, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. One of the things we had to go through as a clinical pastor and so forth at the hospital, go on the sixth floor and so forth, you had to go through a listening class. And that listening class taught you how to listen. And you don't have to comment on anything. Oftentimes, as soon as we hear something, ooh, let's jump in on that. No, let's listen. Oh, you did that? Why did you? No, let's just listen. Well, what caused you to do that? No, let's just listen. And what you want to do is listen. And you have to train yourself to listen because... We all have, as we say, our own opinion, and it comes out very what? Yeah. So we will voice our opinion very quickly about something, not even knowing the whole story. But here's how I feel. Here's what I think. No, listen. The person who will be gentle, will be a person who will take time and listen to you. Hear you. And that's the thing that James says. That boy, you got to be ready to listen. you got to be ready to listen. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10, 15. Let's pick up another one. 1 Corinthians 10, 15. I think that's where I want to go. In 15, you have to ask yourself when you're speaking to people or you're working with people who are hurting or who've been in a lot of pain, have they come to their senses yet? Some things people go through and they have not come to their senses yet. Have you ever tried to make sense or talk to somebody who's drunk? (laughs) <laughs> the alcohol is still there, isn't it? And, and, and it's very present that it's still there. Now, they'll talk with you, but it don't make what? Don't make any sense. Some people can go through a divorce and it's so painful. The hurt is still there. And you're trying to talk, but it's, it's not rational. It's not sensible. Because the pain 
is still there and is so great. Can't be rational or sensible. A child can experience something that causes them to a place where they are no longer rational or sensible or can really think clearly or understand what you're saying. So Paul uses this word. He says in verse 15, he, let me get to you. I speak to sensible people. So the first thing you got to figure out, are you speaking to who? Somebody who can follow you. Somebody who's intelligent. Somebody who can put into practice even what you're saying. Because oftentimes you may be speaking to people, but they have not been taught that, so they don't know how to do that. And sometimes their thinking blocks them, and they can't even think that way. So the word is there, sensible. Are they sensible? Can they take fact one, fact two, fact three and bring a conclusion? Are they sensible? Are they reasonable? Can they understand that you're not the enemy, that you're for them, you're on their side? How many people you talk to really understand sometimes What you want them to be is victorious and successful. People have a hard time believing you want them to be successful. Therefore, they fight. Because they don't understand that what you really are after is someone to be strong and powerful and to be able to show themselves off before God. See, every doctor wants his patient to be strong and healthy and to step out. Because when they step out strong and healthy and able, they're going to go tell somebody, well, that doctor so-and-so helped me get. And when that happens in the spiritual realm, Jesus helped me. Jesus helped me get there. So Paul says, boy, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourself. What I say, judge, are you, are you talking to sensible people who can understand, who really understand and can take point A, B, and C and come to a conclusion and see that you're trying to build them, not destroy them? And he says, boy, I learned to listen. And I learned to judge. Is it sensible people that I'm dealing with? And he says, boy, understand. You still got to be gentle with them. Got to be kind with them. It's going to take a little bit more patience and understanding. And the Holy Spirit's working all the time with you as you're working with someone else. Now, what kind of people do we deal with other than those who may not be sensible or reasonable or intelligent or can follow us? Go to Philippians 2.15. Because we have to understand the world in which we live in. And what people come up with. So in 2.15, he says, So that you may become blameless and pure children of God, without fault. Now listen about the type of world. In a crooked and depraved generation. So so what kind of people are you going to be ministering to? To people who come out of a crooked 
world and a depraved world. A crooked world and depraved. The mind is all messed up. They only see their way. And that's what scripture says. A man seeth himself right in his own what? His own eyesight. But the thing is, why does he see it that way? Is he taught of God or taught of the world? The reason why he sees it that way is because somebody has taught him. Either it's been taught spiritually or it's been taught from a worldly perspective. One or the other. The whole idea there is crooked is warped. And that's a warped idea. <laughs> that don't make no sense. It's warped. It's perverse. It, it really isn't truth. And you need to understand, people have a hard time dealing with truth. They'll take part of the truth, but not all the truth. It's perverse. Depraved generation is a generation who distort things. They take this which is good, make it bad, and call the bad what? Good. When you make a mistake, good thing Betty Crocker doesn't, but if you're baking a cake and you make a mistake and put the wrong ingredients in it, what can you do with that? That's all you can do. You really can't do anything else with it. You know? And sometimes in our lives, we hate to say it, some things we need to what? Pitch and throw out. But we're trying to hang on and say, it's good, it's good. No, it's bad. And he tells us, it's distorted. The other thing that you want to listen to is this here, in the lives of people. Misinterpretation of truths. <coughs> Misinterpretations of truth. When you're listening, you will hear a lot of them. How people misinterpret God's truths. And the goal behind the misinterpretation of God's truth, because God says this is how something should be done. Oh, I'm going to do it this way. And the difference is this here. God's way or your way. God will let you do it your way. But somewhere you pay the price for that. Doing it God's way makes God responsible to you. That you have the victory. Amen. And it all works out. Not saying it's not going to be some toughness, not going to be some hardness in there, not going to be some crying days and some sorrow, but God will work it out. But when you do it your way, God takes his hands off and lets you go. And that's that area oftentimes misinterpreting of God's word because you want your feet in both worlds. <laughs> it's corrupt. It's, it's just perverse. And he says, you're going to deal with people in a crooked, depraved world. 
And you're going to have to be gentle with them. Because they're going to fall once. They're going to fall twice. They're going to fall again and again and again. And every time they fall, they want to come back and have you put some medicine on the knee, on the elbow, wherever the hurt or the pain's at. But until they learn to stay with you for a while, as Jesus said, learn of who? Learn of me. Learn life in its correct pattern, in its correct way. God didn't give us this book just as a poetic book. He didn't give us this just as a historical book. He gave this to govern our lives. The, with the young people this morning, we were talking about, in Psalms, we were talking about God's word is perfect. And I asked them, if God's word is perfect, and you live God's word, what is your result then for your life? Perfect. If God's word is perfect, and you obey God's word, and you do everything God's word says, you have a perfect life. Why? Because God's word is perfect. Not because of what you choose, because God's word is perfect. And when you obey it, you have a perfect life. And then we went over to 2 Timothy 3, that God's word is for teaching. But who has to develop a student-type mind? A willingness to learn. It's not about what's happened to you. It's not about a blame game. It's not about your ups and downs. It's not about your sorrows of life. God says, I'm willing to teach you wherever you're at in life. But you got to be willing to what? Hear and be a student of the book. And God will teach you. And the, one of the things that we talked about is correction. Guess what? We don't want to be. That's right. It's hard to correct people today. But that's why the Holy Spirit is there. Because even when they will not allow us to correct them, we still have to what? Love them. Even though, boy, they won't listen to us. They don't rob our joy. We still have joy. And we still are patient with them. Because we know eventually what's going to happen. They're going to falter again. Until they get to a place that they're willing to learn of him and follow him. Ephesians 4, 2 and Colossians 3, 12 both tell us to be gentle. I'll let you look them up on your own and read them. But we are to be gentle. We are to put on gentleness. And he even speaks of some of the other gifts that the Holy Spirit or character of the Holy Spirit in those verses. But turn with me to 2 Timothy 2.24. And we're going to end out with this. 2 Timothy 2.24. God has to teach us this. But it's talking about the servant of God. That the servant of God has to begin to practice this. The people of God have to practice this. And put it into their lives. He says, in 24, 
then the Lord's servant must not quarrel. The word there is really fight. Or positioning oneself for war. That you're ready to go to battle. That does not mean we cannot have a heated discussion. Those are good. Apologetics is a heated discussion. You've taken your position, I've taken my position, and boy, we can go at each other. That can be fun and a learning experience. Good apologetics is great. Because you're arguing against somebody who truly believes what they believe, and you truly believe in what you believe, but the thing is this here. Truth will always prevail. Truth always prevails. Every deceptive teaching has a flaw in it. And what apologetics begin to do is to show the flaw in that wrong teaching, in that heresy. So it's good to really get into a good heated debate. Robbie Zachariah, I can't understand him a lot of times, but I love listening to him. And I almost drive anywhere to hear him. Because he's an excellent apologetic. And he argues from different philosophies and so forth. And the whole thing is to be able to get in there. Boom! A lot of us, the reason sometimes we don't want to really, what we say, get into argument with people. Because people sometimes get very deep with us and we don't have the answer, do we? Then it becomes a matter of opinion. Or who can shout the loudest. In good discussion, you're hearing them, they're hearing you. And it can be powerful. With no animosity or dislike, and does not become my enemy. And he says, boy, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind. Kind to the one that you're debating with. Kind to the one that you're trying to convince. Kind to the one that you're ministering to. Kind to the one who won't listen to you. Kind to the one who will misinterpret. It's the kindness of God that draws us to. And he says, boy, we must be kind to him. Let me share something with you. When you're trying to share the Lord, people are going to oppose you. (laughs) Why? Whether they believe or not, you're attacking their belief system. Even if their belief system is atheist, no God. You're attacking their belief system. You're attacking the way they think and the way they feel about whoever their supreme being might be. And they're going to oppose everything you say. But you are to be kind to them and gentle to them. And oftentimes with people in sin, you go to them, they're going to oppose even what scripture says that says that is wrong. But, but, but God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows you broke the scriptures. But, he knows that you wasn't obedient. But, he knows that you were not seeking after him. But, 
And he says, instead he must be kind to everyone. Now catch what follows that. Able to teach. Able to teach. You never let a person so upset you in their wrongness or in their sin or in their argument that you lose the ability to teach. Never let a child so upset you that all you want to do is hurt them and not teach them. And never spank a child without making the correction or showing the example of what should have been done. So that you're teaching. But if you're so upset and all you want to do is punish, you won't teach. And he says, gentleness will always be ready to teach. One who is patient is always ready to teach. The one with the godly love is always ready to teach. Why? Because as a man thinketh, so is he. He's only following what he's been taught, either by self or by the world or by what Scripture says. So we don't want to lose the ability to teach in a tough situation. And he says, not resentful that your pride's so been hurt now that you don't care. Hey, you're going to win this battle no matter what because your pride been hurt. You've been hurt. And you don't teach out of resentfulness to prove your point per se. Or because you've been hurt. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct those who what? Oppose. And understand this. People are going to oppose you. And that's okay. The opposing sometimes will cause you to do this. Go back, Lord, is this where I am to stand? Lord, is this what I am to do? Lord, is, are you leading me in this? The opposition causes you to go back and check yourself. And then once you've checked yourself and it comes back in the affirmative, you can say, if God be for me, who can be against me? But if there need to be correction, God will make the correction. But if not, God will tell you, just stand. Don't worry about who's opposing you, just stand. And those who desire to do you harm, God says, he'll harm them. And we've got to remember, the battle is not ours, it's whose? It's his. We've got enough scripture to confirm us that when God is directing us, we can keep moving, we can stand firm, we can keep doing, no matter who's doing the opposing. But the thing is, is this, I'm gentle. Because they really don't know what they're opposing. They're not opposing me. They're opposing him. And he says, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. The reason they're opposing is out of ignorance. They don't know. Wouldn't it be great 
When God told you something to do, he'd tell everybody else. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Hey, that would be great. If God would tell everybody else what he told you to do, therefore you wouldn't have to look to any opposition. They all just know to fall in line. Hey, but that doesn't happen. Hey. And therefore, there has to be instructions that God told me to do this. This is why. And allow them to begin to see the doors open. Allow them to see. It takes time, but allow God to work and instruct. And hope that God will grant them repentance. Who has to grant them repentance? God does. If God has to grant them repentance, God has to show them that they're also what? Wrong. Don't ever try to get somebody who is opposing you to show them that they're wrong. Because you won't do it. It won't happen. You're trying to prove that you're doing the right thing and, and that they're wrong opposing you. No, as far as they're concerned, you're what? Wrong. And once that person has that mindset, you're wrong. You're not going to change it. The only one who's going to change it is God. Amen. And you just need to just keep doing, keep walking, keep believing, keep trusting God. And God says, here, give them a place of repentance or correction. Amen. And he says, when it corrects, it leads them to the knowledge of the what? Of the truth. Of the truth. Of the truth. Gentleness. Towards those who oppose you will bring them eventually to a point to acknowledge the truth. Because God is working with them. God is working with them. Oftentimes we're so busy trying to defend ourselves that we get in God's way. Take a step out of the way and let God deal with them. Okay. Closing out, 1 Timothy 6.11. He tells us to, to pursue gentleness. He gives us a couple of things to, to pursue, but he wants us to pursue this. We are to go after it. He says in Timothy 6.11, 1 Timothy, But you, man of God, flee from all this. Now listen to what he says. Pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. You have to pursue that. People, you ever heard somebody say, they made me do it? <laughs> People will make you slap them. People will make you cuss them out. People will make you do things that when you've done it, you say, I'm sorry. Where if you would have just been in tune with the Holy Spirit, you would never have to say, I'm sorry. And he says, pursue gentleness. You've got to pursue it. You've got to go after it. Because that's not our nature. Our nature is not being gentle. Our nature is always warlike. 
Our nature is always fighting for what I want, no matter who it hurts. Our nature is never, never gentle. Isn't it strange with a newborn child, the nurse even has to tell the mother, be what? Why? That, that's their child. But before they put that newborn into their hands, be gentle. Because it don't take much to shake that baby or to hurt. It's so fragile at that point. And a lot of men don't want to handle a newborn. Because they look at those big hands and that roughness and that squeeze. You know, it sometimes frightens them to even handle a newborn. Because they don't know how to be gentle with something. They know how to get something and tug at it and go at it and squeeze it and so forth. But to be gentle. You know, I remember Elaine used to tell me sometimes, feed the child. I'd be trying to feed it. Girl, take this baby and feed it. Because when the baby starts spitting back up and don't want to do this or get choked or whatever, you don't know to put it up here and do this or do. Uh, I mean, you just got to come on. I got to watch football game. Come on, get this food. Take drink this bottle. You know, girl, take this child and feed this child. <laughs> you know, and that whole process of being gentle is not part of our nature, but it is part of the nature and the attributes of the Holy Spirit. And whoever God has us serving or waiting on, if it's a ministry of God, that gentleness has to be there. That love has to be there. The joy of just being a servant has to be there. The patience with people has to be there. The kindness towards people has to be there. The gentleness has to be there. All of that has to be included in ministering to people. Why? We hurt. We're in pain. We have enough disappointments already in life. And understand, people are going to be highly mistrusting of you. Because they've already been hurt by enough people. And that's why America is becoming more and more isolated as individuals rather than learning to work together. We're isolated. Why is it that we don't know our neighbors to the left or to the right or up the street or down the street? Boy, when we was coming up as kids, we knew everybody on Cotting Street, on both sides, down Livingston, all the way on Bell Street, and you wonder, how did you know all these folks? And today, you're good if you know the two neighbors on the left and on the right. Because we have so isolated ourselves. And that isolation is protection. And it's hard to speak to people. Because people, as we say, you're just trying to get into my business. See, and I'm going to do all I can to keep you out of my business. And your business ain't nothing but some messed up mess. Mm-hmm. Being gentle 
with people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you've been teaching us through the fruit of the Spirit. That, Lord, that we have to be in tune with him and allow him, Lord, to operate these gifts in us and through us for your glory. And I pray, Father, that we would see people delivered. We will see people healed. We will see people, oh God, who will grow up in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for one now who is away trying to get some things taken care of that is in their past that needed to have been taken care of. We pray, Father, that you would give favor and that, Lord, you would do a work of healing. And as they come back to us, that we will hear a good report. And, Father, that we might continue to just minister and to help bring about healing in their lives and restoration that can only come from you. Lord, may you truly work. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be used by your Holy Spirit in serving others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ, we want to give you that opportunity. We never want to take it for granted that everyone in our presence is saved because we don't really know. We know what the mouth may say, but it's the heart in agreement with the mouth. But if you're here today and you really have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not known him in the pardon of your sins, want you to just pray with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me, O oh God. Be Lord of my life and save me to the uttermost. I turn from my sins. I turn from my wickedness. I turn from my iniquities. I turn from that which is displeasing to you. And I turn to you. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, would you let me know? If you made a commitment to Christ today, would you let me know? As we prepare to give to the Lord, we give in thanksgiving. We give acknowledging that He is the one who has provided for us. And we give knowing that we could not give without Him first giving to us and blessing us. Father, we pray, Lord, as we give this morning, that you would take our offering and multiply it and use it.